I had that vision of what a runner looked like, you know, the tall, the skinny, you know, in shorts and a vest in minus six degrees, that type of runner. And there were some of those. Mm -hmm. But as I scanned the room, there was this kind of group in the corner of people that looked like me. And I thought, I'm going to go and join them. Uh, They were the Couch to 5K group. But what I didn't really realise, and timing has never been my strong point, is that they were doing the 5K that night. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So in at the deep end. But I managed to run and walk 5K that night. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it changed my life. It really did. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. So it is the start of a new year and I really wanted to kick off the year with an episode which would hopefully inspire, encourage and motivate us all. So today's guest has taken on a most incredible challenge and is taking on another one this year. He completed 401 marathons in 401 days and his next challenge is to run a marathon in each state in America and he'll be cycling from each one to the next. But he hasn't always been a runner and his story is truly incredible. Welcome to the studio, Ben Smith. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. I mean, like that bio doesn't even do it justice. I mean, the fact that you've done 401 marathons ever in even in your life would be an incredible achievement, let alone doing them every single day. And I know that there were so many challenges, you know, throughout that that time and also, you know, before then. So, yeah, I'm just so excited to have you here and to share your story with the listeners. Yeah, thanks. It sounds nuts when you read it out like that, doesn't it? (laughs) Really, really does. I mean, 401 marathons is over 10,000 miles. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. And your challenge raised over £330,000 for charity. And so going into the challenge and throughout, I know, as I said, there were some injuries, some really, really tough days. So I guess, yeah, can you talk to us about how you even started to get your head around the idea, where the idea came from. And then I guess we need to talk about how you actually got through it. Yeah, well, uh, contrary to popular belief, you don't just wake up one morning and go, do you know what? I know. Let's go run a marathon every day for 401 days. That that doesn't happen. So putting your, the listeners' minds at rest, that is not how this happened. It was kind of more of an organic kind of process, really, for me. Um, as you alluded to, I, I wasn't always a runner. Um, in fact, actually, at the age of 29, I was 17 and a half stone, um, 40-a-day smoker. Wow. Uh, drank myself under the table every single day because I was quite depressed. Um, in a job I didn't really want to be in, in a relationship I should definitely not have been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose I was kind of living my life based on what other people wanted from me rather than what I wanted from myself. But I didn't really know that. And unfortunately, all of this stress and all of this anxiety it manifested itself, unfortunately, in a in a stroke. 
Um, so I ended up in hospital having lost my sight and my hearing and my speech and the feeling in my left arm. Um, I was very lucky. A lot of, you know, that went away and it was thankfully downgraded to a TIA, a transient ischemic attack. But, you know, a couple of weeks later, sat in a recovery unit surrounded by people which, you know, let's be honest, tick the box uh, of what you think somebody that has a stroke should look like. Um, and I just remember sitting there thinking, I don't belong here. And I suppose that was that moment in my life where I just went, I need to change, but I have got no clue how to do it because how can you uncondition the way you've been thinking for the past 20 years? You can't do it overnight, but yet you expect to. Mm. So you become impatient, angry, frustrated, all of that type of stuff. Um, and it took me about a year. Um, I, I changed a few things in my life, uh, but let's just say I didn't get healthier, I didn't get fitter, <laughs> you know, I didn't stop drinking, I didn't stop smoking. Um, normal life just kind of got back in the way. And it took a friend of mine about a year later to kind of pull me up in a pub in Bristol over a pint of cider and she just said what are you doing with your life and after about 45 minutes of berating me you know like your friends do wow. and the ones you can you know rely on do she just turned around and said come on what are you doing and I said well what do you expect me to do and she said well I'm glad you asked why didn't you come and join a running club Wow. Okay. That's amazing. I mean, hearing that story, you know, 29 years old and experiencing that must have been terrifying, but also just, you don't expect that, right? You no. don't expect it. We all think that, you know, regardless, even if you were overweight, even if you were drinking, smoking at that age, I think mm. people think you can do whatever you want. It's like you're young. And as you said, mm. when you're, I don't know, 50, 60, that's when you expect to see people having a stroke, yeah. not at that time. So I guess, yeah. How did you even getting your head around what had happened to you, did that make you, well, like you said, you didn't stop smoking, you didn't stop drinking, mm. so it didn't make you afraid, it didn't make you fearful? No, it didn't. And I, I suppose the way I saw it was it was, a, it was a changing moment in my life. I didn't really know how to deal with it when it happened to me. Um, I kind of almost, in a way, shrugged it off a little bit. Um, but I think the reasons behind how it manifested throughout my life, kind of going right back to the early days, um, you know, I, I went away to school when I was 10 years old. My parents were both in the military. Um, and I ended up in private school here in the UK while they were based abroad. And unfortunately, um, I suffered at the hands of bullies. And, and I think this was the start of, you know, this whole kind of 20 years of pretending to be something I wasn't, having to kind of fulfil other people's needs rather than my own. Um, and it affected my confidence and my self-esteem. The, the bullying was based around my sexuality. Mm. Um, I found out at 13 that I, I was gay, um, but was told that was wrong. And was told that actually if I wanted to be successful in life, I had to cover that up and I couldn't be who I was. And I think that that level of stress inside trying to pretend to be something that you're not, you know, we, we're all we're all victim of that sometimes. And it's exhausting. And but the more and more you do it, the more and more you normalize that level of stress inside. And, you know, in a way, it's almost like this pressure cooker kind of experience. It's like a ticking time bomb with, you know, I'm full of cliches today, sorry. Um, but, you know, that just built over 20 years. I, I you know, I, I, I followed I followed the societal path that, you know, I was told to follow. I came out of um, school with some A-levels, um, not in a great mental state. Uh, ended up at uni doing a psychology degree. I'm sure the irony's not lost on, on many <laughs> of the listeners. Um, and, you know, I ended up then going into a corporate career. And, you know, I thought, you know, success is about ticking all these boxes, you know, getting the nice house, getting married, having a family, you know, a nice car, a great job, a mortgage, all of this type of stuff. 
So I thought, well, I want to be successful because that's going to make me happy. So I literally set about trying to achieve all that. And that took me to 29. And on this 20-year roller coaster that I had, I thought on paper I was. And then suddenly to be faced with this 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 TIA, it was almost a bit like actually everything you've been doing is wrong. What are you going to do to change it? And that wow. was terrifying. It's Absolutely terrifying. terrifying. It's terrifying, but also I guess in some ways, and I hope you don't, you know, mm. mind me saying it's like a blessing and a curse. Definitely. Because it opened your eyes. And I think, you know, what you're describing, so many people probably can relate mm. to the steps and the process of like, do these things to succeed. This is what society tells us all to, you should want these things, you should mm. try to achieve these things. And if you don't, you won't be happy or you won't be fulfilled. And it's into that kind of, you know, and live in a very capitalist, like, you know, like you said, get the car, get the house, mm-hmm. buy the things, go on the holidays. It's all a system. And actually, when when you have something like that that wakes you up and pulls you out of the matrix almost it like snaps you into looking at like what do I actually want who am I why, why mm. am I doing the things I'm doing and it sounds as though you're almost putting happiness aside to pursue success in the hope that that's going to bring you happiness definitely and but but like you just said that they're, they're kind of in your head you you work it so that you think they're quite intrinsically linked you, you almost kid yourself that actually this is the way it should be done because that's what other people are telling me. And, you know, I got, I'm not going to lie, I was quite content. I really was. And I thought I was happy. I really did. You know, I had everything on paper. You know, I ticked every box. I got, God, I got married, you know, to a woman. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it wasn't right for me. Mm. You know, this is how far I went down the whole line. Um, and yeah, you know what you just said there, it's a blessing in disguise. I, I completely agree with you. It was both the worst time of my life, but also probably the best. Mm. Wow. So fast forward to when your friend has encouraged yeah. you slash forced you to join the run club. And mm. yeah, so you go along for the first time. Any expectation? Had you been, were you into sports before at all at school? No? <laughs> uh, that was probably a big fat no. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, to be honest with you, my, my experience of sport at school, which actually drives a lot of the work that I actually do now, um, was very much a negative experience around sport. Um, back when I was at school, you know, we're talking in the, the 90s here, uh, it was very much skill-based. And if you weren't skilled at the mainstream sports, uh, you and, you know, you weren't good at them, you therefore were classified as not being sporty. Yeah. So therefore you weren't really introduced or fast-tracked into other areas. There was not the kind of level of sports that are out there right now. Um, so I, I quickly kind of, you know, moved away from sport. You know, I swam and, and, and did a few bits and pieces, but it wasn't really my most favourite thing to do in the world. And I had that stereotypical dictatorial PE teacher as well, you know, that terrified me. Um, but, you know, sitting with this friend in the pub... And, you know, saying to her, well, well, her saying to me, uh, what are you going to do about it? Um, And then her introducing me to this running club. I remember rocking up on the first day and I'm not going to lie, you know, there was 17 and a half stone in me. I went in baggy tracksuit bottoms and a baggy baggy tracksuit top. I had my hood up, you know, because I thought if any of my mates see me, I I could just stop and walk and it would be like I was going down the shop for milk. It was almost (laughs) like I was putting all these barriers in front of me. But I stood at the front door of this club. Um, which was a pub, by the way. We started and ended at a pub. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm going to get left behind. They're going to laugh at me. I'm not going to fit in. 
had all this kind of negative emotion around it, which, you know, having spoken to thousands upon thousands of runners in what I've done and since what I've done, you know, the feeling has been there for many of those as well. Um, but then somebody opened the door and said, are you coming in? And I don't think my brain and my feet were talking to each other because my foot just took one step forward and I was in. I paid my 50p and I, I remember turning around and just seeing this sea of green runners. And I had that vision of what a runner looked like, you know, the tall, the skinny, you know, in shorts and a vest in minus six degrees, that type of runner. And there were some of those. Mm -hmm. But as I scanned the room, there was this kind of group in the corner of people that looked like me. And I thought, I'm going to go and join them. Uh, they were the Couch to 5K group. But what I didn't really realise, and timing has never been my strong point, is that they were doing the 5K that night. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So in at the deep end. But I managed to run and walk 5K that night. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it changed my life. It yeah. really did. Yeah. No, I can imagine it did. And <clears throat> actually, for someone, you know, I'm a runner. I've got lots of runner friends. And when I talk to people who aren't runners or have never been involved in the running community, it's so hard to make mm. them understand and to believe me because I think... It's not like anything else in the fitness industry. No. I think other things that are far more aesthetic, far more competitive, and people assume and they put running in that category. But I always say to people, the running communities are the most inclusive, encouraging. Mm. You're all there for a reason. Everyone's got a reason to run. Yeah. Everyone's got their story. And everyone just wants you to succeed. You know, mm. it's like, oh, come on, you can do it, mate. You know, one more, five more minutes or one more K or, you know, it doesn't, no one gets left behind. No. And no one's ever made to feel like, oh, what are you doing here? I don't know anyone who's ever had a bad experience in that sense because yeah we, the running community I believe is just so welcoming and and as you said there's not one kind of runner there's everyone just look at I always say when you stand and watch a race you will see mm. all ages all sizes all colors all genders all abilities and that is what I love so much about yeah being mm. in the being in the community and doing races so you did the 5k Obviously, you got the bug. You thought, yeah, you know, you weren't running marathons then. But I want to know, how long did it take from, from that point to getting to, I mean, what you've done now is, is insane, but to getting to the point of thinking, I can actually take on this insane challenge? Well, I, uh, contrary to popular belief, again, I, you, I didn't fall in love with it straight away. You know, I, I achieved that 5K and I remember getting back to the pub and everything from my ankles to my knees to my hips, even the rolls of fat around me hurt. But for the first time in 20 years, I actually felt something and it was pain. And, you know, it might be sadistic to some people, but because I felt something, that's what then took me back the next time. Not the love for it. That came later. Mm. And I think, you know, there was still the nervousness on the second week and the third week and the fourth week and probably more, you know, even now uh, there's a slight nervousness. Of course there is. Um, but I remember after six months uh, of going twice a week, uh, I signed up to my first half marathon, which was the Bristol Half Marathon. I remember running that and, you know, I, I live in Bristol and it's a beautiful city. I didn't enjoy the half, uh, not because the race is bad, but it was just, it was too fast for me. And I remember getting to the finishing line and thinking, I'm never running in my life ever again. Uh, I went back to club on the Tuesday night after that and told a mate of mine that. And he went, well, this is ironic considering you're at a running club. Um, and then he kind of started to talk to me about, well, if you don't like half marathons, well, why don't you try running a marathon? Because that'll be better. <laughs> well, this is what I thought at the time. And I thought there's no logic in that. But this is what I didn't understand at the time. And I'm, I'm sure you do here and many of your listeners probably is this almost logical illogicness that runners have. We have this ability to think what we're doing is absolutely normal. But to somebody that doesn't necessarily run, 
they think, what? Yeah. You do what? Yeah. Um, so anyway, after he took me through the fact that I could, you know, slow down, you could have a chat, you know, it's better crack at the back. Um, and, you know, the training was OK and you could eat more and all of this. I kind of went, yeah, sign me up. And that took me to Brighton in 2013. And yeah, nearly killed me. Best marathon that I've ever done to this day still, Brighton Marathon in 2013. And because it was my first, mm. a huge affiliation to it. Um, but I remember crossing that finishing line and throwing myself over the finishing line, um, being put in the finishing funnel, um, not really knowing <laughs> not really knowing who I was or, or what I was at that point, and then somebody giving me a medal. And I just remember thinking to myself, that's that's something I've achieved. Nobody can take that away from me. And I think that was the moment that I think my bug for marathon running started. Amazing. Mm. So then you thought, let me do it again and again and again and again. And again. Well, not at this point. No, no. Um, I signed up to my second marathon, which I took me abroad to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Flat as pancake. Brilliant. Loved it. Uh, had a great weekend, uh, went out with friends. You know, it was that almost sociability of running that I really enjoyed. And going back to what you said before, there's that no judgment. Yeah. No, nobody cares how much you earn. Nobody cares what you do for a living. If you actually talk about that in your while you're out running, you're kind of, it's almost frowned upon, really. Yeah. You're kind of all sweating in the same way. Uh, and that's kind of what I started to enjoy about the fact that there was I was meeting people. I was meeting friends. I was almost like my barriers were coming down. My confidence, my self-esteem was growing. Um, and then in 2014, I decided that I was going to take the next leap. Um, the 401 was not on the horizon at this point. I just said, look, I want to marry two things that I love, which is travel and running. And I thought, well, how do I do that? And well, the answer came in the fact that, you know, I could travel the world and run marathons around it. And I thought, this sounds pretty cool. So I'd work all day, Monday to Friday, and then I'd fly out from Bristol Airport to some far-flung city somewhere in Europe or, you know, take a bit longer if I was flying further afield. And I ran marathons all around Europe, you know, Reykjavik, Helsinki, Stockholm, Copenhagen. Uh, I went to Madrid, Barcelona. I went to uh, over to Miami, uh, did the San Francisco Marathon. Nice. You know, and I suppose throughout this entire journey of running 18 marathons in 2014, um, I got to the point where actually I felt ready to be able to talk about what had happened to me in the past. You know, um, you, you hear a lot of people say nowadays, you know, talk about your, your mental health issues, talk about issues that you have. And actually to some people, do you know, well, that's really terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it's a really big leap to ask somebody to talk about their innermost demons. And for me, I needed something that kind of went before that. And that was what running was. And it gave me the confidence. It gave me the ability to actually go, do you know what? I'm OK to talk about this. And I went to see somebody. I spoke about it. And it was the last session when I came out. I walked out that door and I said, do you know what? I'm going to use what happened to me in my past to affect not just my future, but, but also hopefully the futures of thousands of other people. And this is then where the inner workings of the 401 started to come about. Wow, well, it's incredibly admirable. And I think, you know, I definitely want to get into this 401 because, <laughs> I, you know, as someone who's training now for a marathon, I'm training for one marathon. And when you just described, you know, the finish line and you feel like, oh, finally, it's not just that race for me that's mm. over. It's like, oh, the months of, you know, the 5 a.m. starts, the cold, the, you know, the kind of the, all of it, you know, you build up to that. So I don't know how I would feel about even people say to me, Adrian, are you ever going to do an ultra? And I'm like, mm, no. So I think the <laughs> fact that, you know, to, to wake up and do that again and again, how did you? So 
yeah, you you got the idea for it. How did you how did you work with a team? Did you decide? Did you just pick that number out of air? Like, how did you even come up with that? Yeah, well, four hundred one is a bit of an odd number, isn't it? Mm. You know, so um, I, I it's think a lot. What, it's a big number. Yeah, it's a big number, and yeah, and trust me, I don't shy away from that fact. Um, one hundred one would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I, I think for for me, it was um, a combination of a number of different things. Um, when I came out of that final appointment with the with the counsellor. And, and, you know, sat in the pub again. There's a big theme to my running, by the way. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I started to talk to my friends and, I you know, we were talking about what, what potentially I could do to raise some money. Um, we picked the fact that we want, I wanted to raise some money for two anti-bullying charities because, that, you know, I had, that had affected my life, mm. the entirety of my life. And I didn't want kids to have to go through what I went through at school, mm. um, be that from, a, you know, a sexuality reason or other reasons of why people get bullied. Um, so I picked two charities. Kidscape and Stonewall and then you know we were kind of batting about well how much do we want to raise I thought well you know a million's probably quite a lot isn't it (laughs) and then somebody went well you know why not a hundred thousand I was like well you know let's go for a quarter of a million and literally that was how it came and then suddenly realised that actually you know to raise a quarter of a million pound you kind of got to do something big you kind of got to do something out the box because you know everyone's running marathons nowadays everyone's running ultras nowadays and you know it's it's stopped being that thing of like oh yeah this is amazing even though it is Mm. and it's an incredible achievement for anyone that does it but people expect more yeah so we thought right well okay well what's the biggest thing we can do in in marathon running in 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 running and i was never going to be the quickest marathon runner that was never going to happen. I don't run for those reasons. Um, I was never going to be uh, the biggest ultra marathon runner. You know, that that didn't, a bit like yourself, it didn't really kind of, you know, get my juices flowing, so to speak. But um, somebody said to me, well, why do you like running marathons? I'd done probably around about 25 at this point. Um, and they said, well, why don't you do back to back? And weirdly enough, I thought that was saner than actually ultra, run, uh, ultra running. Um, but I thought, do you know what? That actually sounds quite a good idea. And then we kind of thought, well, what's the biggest thing you can do in that? And it was the world record. Oh, and okay. I thought, okay, well, what's the world record? And supposedly it's 53. It was a Japanese guy, I believe, okay. that ran 106 times around a running track for 53 days in a row. And I just thought... Yeah, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I thought I, even the mental strength of just being going around a track every single day. Um, yeah, and we, we actually, you know, went to Guinness and said, look, if we were going to go for this, you know, what, what are the rules and regulations? And they, they, they sent us this big list. And I suppose as I was reading down this list, I just kind of thought to myself, this isn't this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel the reasons as to why I want to do this. So in a way, what we did was we kind of just went, well, look, we'll forget about the world record, but let's go beat it anyway. Amazing. And it turns out there are other people in the world that have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an Australian couple that ran a number of, you know, just I think it's over 100 that they ran around the coast of Australia in their 70s, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, a couple of American guys, a, uh, an English dude. And, you know, there was uh, all the way up to 365. There was a claim of a 607 and a thousand. You know, we found that there was a guy that had done a thousand, a monk for Zen, supposedly. Um, but the ones that we could kind of corroborate were the 365. Okay. So I thought, well, let's round it up to 400. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went to the US and I ran 
seven marathons in seven days across seven states of the US from St. Louis down to um, New Orleans, down the Mississippi, which was an incredible experience. And I got to run with this amazing guy called Larry Macon, who I believe is the world record holder for the most amount of marathons that have ever been run in a lifetime. It's around 1800 at the moment that he's at. But he's he's a lanky Texan dude and he's got the biggest and the most amazing personality. And he said, look, I love what you're doing. Have you thought of a victory lap? And I went, what do you mean? You know, my British sensibility kind of went, what? <laughs> Victory lap, yeah. one more mile, not one more marathon. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of thought long and hard about it. And I suppose in a way, the way we thought about that Victory lap was that it would allow, you know, people to come and join us for the last one. So we flew back to the UK and in April of 2015, that's when it became the 401 Challenge. Amazing. Okay, I really wanted to know that story because I just thought, how did they even come up with this insane challenge, let alone thinking that it's possible? Because honestly, like I think I'm somebody, you know, I talk a lot about mindset. I talk a lot about, you know, self-improvement, self-development, kind of focusing on your your ability and kind of yeah I guess running is something that's very measurable you know you can always run a little further run a little faster you can track your progress which I love but personally I don't know if I would my mind would allow me to think that I could do it that is what would hold Mm. me back that's probably what holds me back from ultras is thinking what if you actually can't do it what if you say okay I'm going to do 401 marathons you get all these sponsors you've got maybe some press involved I don't know any brands like you you've got this expectation you've got Mm. people you know helping you with the training supporting and then you get there you start what about if a hundred marathons in you're done like physically Mm. mentally what if you can't carry on what do you do then so yeah I mean let's let's skip to that so you've started doing the marathon every Mm. day which is must be insane you've (laughs) trained for how you even train for that I don't know so yeah let's go say halfway through 200 marathons 200 days how Mm. are you feeling at that point physically mentally were you thinking I'm not going to be able to finish this uh, at 200, um, I was actually feeling quite good. Okay. I was in Glasgow, uh, up a hill just past a fire station. Um, and yeah, uh, we had party poppers at the halfway point. It was it was pretty cool at that point. I think that the hardest bit for me was actually the first 50 days. Okay, so you talk know, to us about it, that. Yeah, it was the first 50 days because that's where your body's starting to kind of adapt to what you're asking it to do. And it's almost, it's that physicalness of, of the actual challenge to begin with, I found. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone's different. You know, everyone runs for different reasons. Everyone has different motivations and things that they do in life and I think what I did was I attached different motivations to my running every single day so I didn't have the same motivation say on day one this way what I might have had on day 200 or day 250 or day 401 you know there was a consistent reason as to why I was doing what I was doing and there were objectives of the challenge but you know there were certain days where you know I did wake up and I went you know my legs feel like lead mm-hmm. I'm going to take it slow today and trust me again contrary to popular belief I wasn't running these at sub three hours you know I was running on average at 521 a day and mm-hmm. I was having to eat six and a half thousand calories a day. So I was having to stop and eat halfway through. So I was able to chunk it down into almost manageable pieces, which then allowed for other people to be able to come and join in as Mm. well. Um, but in that way, again, though, some some would argue that that makes it harder because essentially running the distance is the distance. But if you're running mm. for three hours or five hours, <coughs> essentially you're on your feet for longer. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So people, yeah, I do. You, five and a half hours of running every single day, mm. should, you know, can imagine took such a toll physically on your body. It did take a toll on my body. But I think, um, you know, going back to the kind of first 50 days, you know, I had all the kind of niggles and, and, and issues and stuff like that for the first 50 days. I, I lost 17 kilos in weight which starts to affect me mentally because 
I suppose, you know, I didn't have any sponsors. I didn't have any, um, you know, experience, dare I say. I wasn't a trained athlete. I was kind of doing this really off my own back. The team around me were a small team, which included my dad, who had uh, come out of retirement for the, from the military and was planning the logistics of the project in mum's dining room, you know, in Lincoln. Uh, mum was looking after the therapy side of things because that's her background. Uh, my other half, Kyle, uh, who I'd met about nine months prior to the challenge, who doesn't like running, by the way, he hates it. Um, he'd given up his PhD and given up his job to come on board and project manage. And we had another girl called Tolu um, who was helping us out as well. And this was the team. What we wanted to do was get as many people involved in the project as possible, which actually was a huge motivation for me. Going back to what drove me into running was the sociability angle. Mm. I knew that running on my own was never going to be an option because I would not have been able to stay motivated in my mind. It's lonely. Yeah, completely. So what we said was from the very beginning that this project was open to everybody. So if you did want to come and join in, I would always run at the pace of the slowest runner, which to some people is a bit like, well, how can you chop and change your, you know, your your patterns and, and, and how you run? You know, if you're running a bit slower than what you would normally run, that could cause injury. I think what I put into my running was the element of fun. And I, you know, I kind of almost rid myself of all of the misconceptions and all of the, dare I say, brand and marketing ideas of the running community. And I just went, you know what, I'm just going to go run a marathon every day. And I didn't make it any bigger than that in my head. And all I did was surround myself by people that believed in me. I got rid of all of those people in my life that told me I couldn't do it. Amen. And then basically, you know, on the days where it was bad, um, it was bad. I'm not going to lie. Um, just shortly after the 200 mark, um, around 285, I'd just done the Edinburgh Marathon back end of May in 2016. Uh, I think it was, yeah, 2016. <laughs> um, and I was working my way up to Aberdeen. Um, and uh, unfortunately, my, my back kind of went in, in Dundee. Um, and then over the next four days through kind of our broth, Montrose, Stonehaven and into Aberdeen, I kind of almost ended up in a bit of a question mark shape which was not great. Mm. Um, And I ended up having to go to Aberdeen Royal Infirmary and uh, I was told by uh, one of the doctors there that I needed to stop. And, um, you know, this was 285 in. I obviously started to negotiate with the doctor because it was like they didn't know what they were talking about. I've got a goal here. Can I just get to John O'Groats? It's 300 at that point. I'm loving the rounded numbers, by the way. (laughs) Um, And, uh, well, let's just say they said no. Um, And my team, uh, I'd signed a contract with my team that said if if anything like this ever happened, that they would just pull me off the road and it would be their decision, not mine, because I was too emotionally involved Mm. in the project. My dad and my other half pulled me off the road and over 10 days we we found out that I had um, actually got a fracture in the bottom of my back and one of my discs had ruptured, which was impinging on my spinal cord and it was sending sciatic pains down my legs and unfortunately what that had done was my core had tightened up so much that it had twisted my spine into a corkscrew and I was in so much pain and so much agony. But over the next 10 days I worked with a physio, a chiropractor, you know, a number of different uh, amazing people um, and we ended up back on the road in Inverness. With the broken uh, back? Yeah, 10 days later. Uh, then, unfortunately, we decided 
that um, instead of running marathons, um, we would run ultra marathons. You had to make up the miles. Yeah. So I still wanted to finish on the same day. I still wanted to achieve the goal. And actually, this is, I think, where the British public just kind of got behind it. Yes. I love this already. Because it's like the comeback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, let's be honest. People people love love a sound story. We love an underdog. It's like, not only are you going to run 400 marathons, but now you're going to have a broken back. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, though, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm kind of, like I'm smiling because I'm cheering you on and I know it's a happy ending but I'm also terrified if I was your partner dad, mm. mum I would have been like you need to stop this madness because essentially <laughs> you have one body you've got to look after it you know it's yeah. scary for them to kind of watch you but I understand the kind of the will and the desire yeah. actually I listened to something recently that was talking about uh, physical challenges and and how you know the science can only do so much when it comes to you know looking at your blood sugar your pressure your all these things that tell you how far you should mm. be able to run but it was saying that actually will you can never measure no. and if someone has a will to do something mm. that is you know they're not going to stop because let's be honest you could have definitely used that as a get out card and no That's one good. would have no one would have said oh you know he gave up like mm. that could have been your moment to go yes thank god it's over i'm injured i'm out but you had the will and you carried on i think i think you know we're very good as human beings in putting things in 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 place to block ourselves from doing things you know i tried to make this challenge limitless i really did both in my mind and my body and yeah okay my body gave up of course it did but um you know i I was able to work with incredible people to be able to get my body back on track you know running running with a with a damaged back you know through the highlands of scotland isn't isn't necessarily the best thing to do you know when ben nevis starts you know and that ends up being the the second half of your ultra marathon you know you've got a bit of a problem but as i said the support that people gave over those last 117 days and and obviously before you know people got behind this to the point where on the final day in Bristol you know 700 plus people came out and ran we had wow. two and a half thousand people around the world running it virtually including five in Sydney which you know mentioned ten and a half thousand miles at the beginning that's the equivalent distance from London to Sydney wow. so we had five in Sydney running at the same time over there that we were running here in the UK it was it was emotional and mm. um, I think nothing else obviously in the country was happening on that day just this crazy bearded guy running around Bristol for for his 401st marathon so the world's media was there which was amazing and it was that final day that the only thing that we hadn't raised was the money we'd achieved the 401 we were actually 12 miles over um, you know, we'd we'd inspired you know hundreds of thousands of people. You know, we including talks in 101 schools up and down the country to kids to show them that actually don't put limits in your life. You can do anything that you want to do. Um, the only thing we hadn't hit was the money. But halfway round, with the help of the British media and the support of all the people that supported us, we found the final ninety thousand pound that took us over the quarter of a million pound mark. And I'm not ashamed to say, but I cried live. I cried live on Sky News. Um, but it was funnily enough again at the pub, which is right <laughs> next to where I live right now. Um, and that final half a marathon back into Bristol was just me running on trails that I learned to run on with Amazing. people that. Yeah, just cared about what it was we were doing. It was it was magical. It was it's, honestly, I've got goosebumps, and I think <laughs> it is emotional running. I think people, oh. it's so emotional, and you know, here I saw the um, I've seen you know videos of you on the news that day. I know people referred to you as Forrest Gump, and you know, you're looking like <laughs> with a big beard and a bit sunburnt on your shoulders, um, but it is emotional, and you think you know, obviously the people there supporting you. I mean, I'm so glad that you know you hit, you went over the target, you yeah. went way over the, the target mm. with the money, and wow, I just think. What an achievement. And I know you've actually, you know, you've written the 401 book, which Mm. is now available. But, you know, I think 
a lot of people would probably go, okay, I've done it. I have done that. I am going to dine out on this for the rest of my life. Hang up those trainers. You will never see me running again. I'm going to rest my back and just, you know, basically talk for the rest of my life about the fact that you can do anything and I'm proof of it because I ran 401 marathons in as many days. The end. No, it's just the beginning. The the end. Stop. Stop. (laughs) Close the book. No? No, no. This is kind of just the beginning. It was almost like a chapter in my life had kind of closed at that point. And then it was like, well, okay, let's consolidate. Let's take a step back. Let's recover. You know, because obviously, you know, 10,500 miles, it takes its toll on your body. I had my back to sort out. I had the mental side of things to sort out as well. Did you Um, suffer a little bit from not having that structure? Because people talk about, you know, the running blues after the marathon. It's like, what do I focus on now? But I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, hugely. You know, my other half jokes, he said, oh, I thought I'd get the old Ben back, but actually got a new Ben back, which was more of a miserable kind of (laughs) depressed kind of, you know, didn't want to get out of bed type Ben. And I think there was the chemical imbalance in my body because I'd been burning adrenaline for 401 days talking and chatting to people and you know driving the project as much as I could from ground level um, which was obviously very successful but I'd given everything that I could to this project everything and basically it affected me hugely um, I didn't sleep for three months I ended up, yeah I ended up on uh, antidepressants um, which was you know I didn't I didn't feel judged or anything by it, it was you know the the, the NHS the, the 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 doctors that that supported me were absolutely incredible with with regard to the support for me that they gave um, and over a period of around nine months I kind of pulled myself back to kind of almost a, a, a bend that I could recognize um, but what this had done was it has inspired me to kind of create a legacy to what we'd done you know we changed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people we'd raised all this money we'd done this amazing task and actually I didn't want to jump straight back into another challenge didn't want to do that that wasn't what motivated me what I wanted to do was create a long-lasting legacy which then came in the form of the mental health foundation that we now run uh, called the 401 foundation Um, and we set that up which was amazing it was so tough you know I'm I'm I've never been a CEO of a charity before, you know, I've never worked for a charity before, but to kind of run a charity and build it from ground up with some incredible people uh, who are supporting us on our board and, you know, for the support from the, the 401 family, as we call them now, um, it's been a, it's been an adventure. Um, and, you know, the foundation is incredibly successful at the moment. Um we're getting to the points where we're going to be handing out grants in the next couple of months to small community projects around the UK that build confidence and self-esteem, but also tackle issues around mental health and self-development. Um, I'm doing a lot of work with schools and young kids to try and inspire them to say, do you know what? Don't put some barriers in place. You can do what you want to do. And then this then inspired the fact that actually we needed to raise some big bucks for this charity. And um, I turned around to my other half uh, and I said to him, do you mind if I go do another one? And he just looked at me and went, if you go do another one, we get married. Yes. And I went, okay. Now you think that was romantic, right? Yeah. It's more down to the insurance. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. If you know the guy, it's down to the insurance. But yeah, I'm happy to say that, you know, we were married two weeks ago. Congratulations. epic. Um, And obviously he's given me the permission to go off and do my next one, which uh, starts in July next year. Oh my gosh. I am beaming. I love it. I love it. I love, love. This is great. So congratulations on your newly wed husband. But Mm. also, I mean, there's no stopping you. So you're, this is, this year you are well tell us Mm. 
Yeah, so this year, yeah, uh, in July actually yeah. this year. So warmer months. Uh, it was due to be. It was due to be in March uh, yeah. that we were starting. It's called the USA 2020 Challenge, but we shifted it to July because we uh, spoke to the American Weather Service and they said uh, you might not want to run around the northern states of America in March and April because it can be a bit snowy and a bit bit cold. So we switched it to July to October. But I'm going to be going to the states, and as you said in the very beginning of the podcast, I'm going to be running a marathon in every one of the state capitals starting in Maine on the 1st of July and then over the next 104 days moving from I suppose the northeast of the country down to Florida and then up and down the US uh, to finish on the 12th of October in Hawaii Um, but rather than obviously drive and fly between the locations we thought we'd add another discipline which is cycling why not yeah why not you know limitless limitless (laughs) you know spin them out you know (laughs) Um, but yeah what we want to do is we want to raise a million pound this time around so four times the amount that we raised last um, but this time it's in aid of both our foundation and also the youth sport trust which is one of the other charities that i'm actually a mental well-being ambassador for and this takes me back to my experiences of sport at school um, i'm obviously away your, your husband's a pe teacher he is indeed. Um, i'm i'm a huge believer in the power of sport i really am you know i don't want to preach to people but you know Sport does have such a huge positive effect on a young person and an older person's confidence and self-esteem. I'm, I'm, I'm literally the proof of that. And what I want to be able to show kids is that actually being physically active will have a positive effect on their mental well-being. So as part of this next project, not just the physicalness and the mentalness of what we're doing, we've actually built uh, an educational programme which we're going to be implanting into 4,001 schools as of next year. Uh, It's free resources for mental well-being um, and they're going to be linked into the USA 2020 challenge. Uh, And yeah, hopefully we can have a million children inspired and come along on the journey with us, which will be absolutely epic. So exciting. And just such an amazing, amazing cause. And I truly believe as well that, yes, yeah, sport can change lives. I've witnessed yeah. it. I've witnessed it myself. And, yeah, the, the power and the impact it can have on young people mm-hmm. to be involved in sport, to not have that negative feeling that, you know, oh, I'm not sporty or yeah. that sport is this, you know, embarrassing, awful, you know, competitive environment when actually, yeah. you know, sport can just open doors for so many people. And especially, mm-hmm. I think, people who need it the most, you know, people who maybe don't access school in the same way or don't have the confidence or maybe have, you know, behavioural issues or or, or learning disabilities or whatever whatever the challenge is. I truly believe that sport can, like, it's like it levels the playing field. As you said, we're all there. You're all, you know, doing it together and it's it's amazing. So, I mean, I wish you all the best on that challenge. And what I want to know is, I want to know, you said before, you know, this is for everyone to get involved. You know I love to run and you know I love to travel. So I want to know... (laughs) where these hot sunny destinations because I'm not so much about the cold places either Mm -hmm. where I can come and join you for one of these races well in February uh, March and April this year we're going to be launching the routes uh, to to our next project Um, we spent a good nine months to almost a year trying to plan these because you can probably imagine the logistical aspects of this entire project not just with the time zones but the weather and the terrain and the roads that you can cycle on the rules 
rules and regulations of each each different state, and then the counties within them. It's an absolute minefield. The running's the easy bit. Yeah, the run, <laughs> do you know what? The challenge is actually going to be the easiest bit. Um, but we've nailed all of that now, which is great. So in February, March and April, we'll start announcing all the different stages. We've got 10 stages, each five states long. Um, as I said, we start in Maine. We work our way down kind of the eastern seaboard to Tallahassee in Florida and then all the way back up into Michigan and et cetera, et cetera. So um, people will be able to come and join in. Um, we were challenged as to how we could make an impact in the US because obviously, you know, it's it's, it's important to realise that the charities are British-based charities mm-hmm. and we're raising money for those. But we've actually been looking at how we can make an impact in the US um, we've got some people going to be flying over who ran with me last time that are taking holidays and going to come and do marathons with me in the US. Uh, and some people are going to come and do some bike trips with me in the US, which will be really cool. But we want the American public to get involved in this too. So each of the marathons are actually going to be run round running tracks in educational establishments or the state capital universities. So we're in the throes of contacting those at the moment. Uh, We're working with each of the US city mayors uh, at the minute to kind of get the events built. Um, And I'll be running around a track, which will allow me to run at a particular pace because obviously time is of an essence this time around, which it wasn't last. But it means that people, you know, of all different ages and abilities can kind of come out and run with me on the track whether or not that's for a couple of laps or you know the whole thing or if they want to do it at a slower pace it just means that the involvement and inclusion is there and going back to the point you said there about sport being accessible to all that's what we want to show um but then the challenge was with the cycling how do we do that it's a point to point every day sometimes 120 miles on a bike so what we've done is we've split that into four five sections each day so people can come and do a shorter section with me and then turn back and go so yeah not only will it motivate me being surrounded by people, mm. which will keep my mindset positive from what I learned in the last time, it'll also make sure that this project doesn't just inspire a million people here in the UK. It goes global. Wow. Wow. I'm so excited and inspired <laughs> myself. I feel like, come on, Adrienne, you need yeah. to up your I game. I believe Hawaii needs to be the one on the 12th of October. I mean, I'm down. Are you down? Uh, Hawaii. Happy days. I mean, that's all you need to say to me. <laughs> Hawaii, I mean, sounds great. 12th Brilliant. of October, I'm free. <laughs> so I'll see you there. But seriously, like, it is inspiring. And I really hope that, you know, at the start of the year, I think there's a lot of, you know, talk about new me, new year, yeah. like, start some new, you know, habits, give up this, give up that, give up the other. And it's all about quitting things. Yes. When I'm not a quitter, I'm like, don't give up things, take on something new. Mm. So actually, maybe this will hopefully inspire people <clears throat> to think, maybe if they thought they could never run a marathon, mm. maybe this is the year that you actually add something to your list, add yeah. something to your life. Instead of giving up something, take on something, lace up. Maybe you maybe you don't think you can run 5K. Maybe you don't think you can run for five minutes. But every single time you do that, mm. you just do the, you know, the five minutes or the, the first mile or whatever, it gives you, as you said, confidence it gives you proof you've proven to yourself i didn't Mm. think i could do that and i did so what else can you do that you didn't think you could do Mm. you know you're preaching to the choir here oh completely yes i feel so good (laughs) ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Okay, so, I mean, normally I would talk a lot about the power hour, which is mm. the first hour of my day, <laughs> and I believe it's really important. And I, I mean, I wanted to know, like, I guess when you... Are you training now? Have mm. you started training? What's the first hour of your day like? I mean... I know you had a juice this morning. Is yeah. that a daily practice? No, no, no. I'm, I'm kind of. I try and keep my day as flexible as I can. To be honest with you, I think what I found is is that you know, um, a bit different to yourself. I find that if I structure my day in a particular way, that doesn't necessarily work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to keep it flexible. So obviously, I have certain commitments that I have to do each day. I, I run a company. I run. A, I run a business. You know, that gives me a, a level of flexibility to be able to do what I want. But I try and integrate at least a gym session, a run session or a cycle session into into one of my days. Um, obviously, the weather isn't that great at the moment. And, um, you know, it's always a struggle getting out in the freezing cold. But I think what I try and do is not give myself the pressure. Um, the moment I start going, oh, I don't want to go out, then I know that maybe going out is probably not the right thing for me. I'm not going to be fully motivated to be able to go out and do a good workout. So, you know, I'll jump on the spin bike in uh, in the spare room mm. and I'll do some miles on the spin bike or I'll go to the, to the gym uh, or I'll eat a healthy dinner. I'll just do say, something. I'll go down to the pub. Well, <laughs> Back to that, that pub. <laughs> that has been known. I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, exercise is supposed to be fun. Mm. And I think what we tend to do to ourselves and going back to what you said about cutting things out, we look at exercise as a negative thing. It's actually how do you how can you incorporate that into your life in a fun way? And I think that does go all the way back down to when we were younger, giving kids the ability to try a plethora of sports, you know, to instill in them that actually sport isn't a bad thing. They don't have to be the best at it. You know, they just have to be active for it to benefit them, not just physically, but mentally. I think over the next couple of generations, what we'll see is a real turn in the attitude towards exercise and how people incorporate that in their lives. Mm, We're really just hope. having to catch up as adults now. Yeah, I really hope so, because, yeah, that that hasn't been the narrative for me. You know, I was yeah. that kid at school who loved PE. I loved, you know, there were certain lessons in certain areas of the school that I did not love, but that was the place <laughs> that I, you know, I loved to be. And I think think it was definitely a polarizing thing people either loved it or hated it so that's definitely set me up to you know mm. enjoy you know I did dance I've done athletics I do you know all different sports and and I think that's I see it and people kind of go well it's fine for you because you are sporty you know but as you said a lot of people that I meet did not have that story mm. yet now they really really do have this amazing whole new world of things available to them so but that's cool I think for me I guess depends on your personality because for me if I had that more relaxed approach that you described Mm. I think things would come up things would get in the way (laughs) and then I'd go you know what it's too late or Mm. I'm busy or I'd just find an excuse Mm. so for me like getting the morning thing having the structure I have to have it because I know Mm. that later on in the day when work commitments whatsapps my son emails other Mm. things will take my time yeah and i won't have the time and i think that's the key it's finding what works for you Mm. you know this is why the 401 was a success because i didn't you know and in a way i suppose i benefited from the fact that i wasn't a trained athlete i hadn't been through years and years and years of sports training i literally ran this in the purest way i could and in a way that's what i've adapted into my training now i do it in the purest way i can for me i know that the way i do it works for me it doesn't necessarily work for others but doing it the way that it does work for you is the key to making sure that you can incorporate exercise into your life in a in a fun and exciting way Awesome. Okay. Well, before I ask you my closing question, ben, which is a new one. <laughs> oh. Yes, it's a new year. Oh, I'm I've excited. got a new question. <laughs> before I ask you that, though, could you please tell the listeners where they can, firstly, follow you online, 
get the book and follow <laughs> the project, the the challenge. Right. Uh, okay. Alert here. Plug coming. <laughs> um, Go for it. So yeah, uh, if you want to follow the the four hundred one challenge, it's it's pretty simple. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and it's just simply at the four hundred one challenge. So you'll get all the the regular daily updates from me as to you know the crazy stuff that goes on in my life at the moment. And and trust me, sometimes it's not pretty, um, but we share all. Um, if you want to um, check out what the USA twenty twenty challenge is all about, uh, you can visit our website, which is just simply the four hundred one challenge.co.uk um, and then if you want to buy the book uh, you can find that in Waterstones but also on Amazon and it's called The 401 Amazing, well yeah if you type it in as you said 401 and mm. even if you type in 401 Ben it comes up Yeah you might get with... a couple of pension books from the US the 401k <laughs> but just scroll down <laughs> Yeah and also you'll see some videos of you which I watched which are amazing yeah. <laughs> Okay so my closing question which as I said is a new one for this year is all about time because it is the Power Hour podcast. I am obsessed with the concept of, you know, <laughs> making time count and believing that it's this, the most valuable thing that we can give to another person. Mm. So thank you, Ben. And also the most valuable thing that we have. We can't get it back. We can't buy more. No. If we could, it would be sold out in every store. So I like what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the closing question is, if you had one extra hour each day, so not one, you know, it's 25 hours in a day, every single day, one extra hour each day. What would you use it to do? Oh, my God. Oh, I think you stumped me. Um, I actually say every single day, I wish I had more time. Um, what would I use it for? Uh, probably planning more of my adventure, yeah. to be honest with you. It's where I'm the happiest. Um, you know, don't say that to my other half. Obviously, I'm happy at home with him. Obviously, an extra hour with yeah. you, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have said that, really, shouldn't I? But no, I think if I'm going to be completely honest, I think it's it's planning future adventures. I I I I'm the happiest when I'm in front of a spreadsheet, checking the logistics and understanding, you know, what what the possibilities for the future are. So yeah, that's how I'd use my extra hour. Brilliant. Can I have another hour? Well, I mean, we'll see what we can do. But I, <laughs> I love the answer. I love the answer. I love planning things. But I think what you're doing is you're planning it and it's not just a dream or no. a wish list. It has a deadline. It yes. has a date. And as soon as you apparently add a deadline and a date to a goal, mm. that's when it becomes a mission. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, going back to what you were saying before, you know, we're still in that phase of trying to fund the project at the moment. And that's really scary. Mm. You know, the ironic thing is we can raise the million pounds. We've got that sorted. It's just raising the capital now to be able to get to America on the 1st of July. So if anyone's out there that wants to help. Yep. Come on, funders. Get, get involved. involved. <laughs> get involved. If you've got the cash, get in touch. OK, brilliant. Thank you so much, Ben, for giving no, us thanks. your time today. And thank you, everyone, as always, for listening to the Power Hour podcast. I'm so excited for the year ahead. Please do let us know if you've enjoyed this episode. You can rate and review it on iTunes. And if you haven't already, then please do that because it really helps to grow the show, to reach more listeners, to spread the message and to book future guests as well. So if you do enjoy this podcast and you send me tweets and Instagram messages, I appreciate every single one. But please do rate and review on iTunes. Have a fantastic week. Lace up. See ya. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.